Welcome to Books That Work, the best and most useful bits of business books. I'm Anna Hughes and my professional purpose is to help people to love their work. You know, like, because I came from a, um, a family of six and there were five girls and I was the youngest and all my sisters and my mother and my grandmother, they're all very supportive. My father was supportive. I didn't think that way when I went into the work environment. I didn't think that I'm a gender. I just thought, how do I get from A to B <laughs> as a business person? What do I need to do? That's Judith Beck. She's the author of No Sex at Work, our book for this episode. Before we do our speed read of No Sex at Work and have a chat to Judith, thank you to everyone for your feedback on our conversation with Dina Castor and Let Your Mind Run. So many of you loved that. And congrats to Fiona Robinson, the winner of our giveaway copy of Let Your Mind Run. Please keep letting me know what you think about books at work and give me feedback. And when you do, you'll also go into the draw for this week's book, No Sex at Work. I'd also love it if you followed Books at Work on Instagram too. So righto, let's get our speed read of No Sex at Work started. This is a book about leadership, not gender. It's filled with practical career tips and strategies to survive and thrive at work. First up though, let's talk a little bit about Judith. She draws on decades of experience as an executive search recruiter. She also founded an organisation called Financial Recruitment Group. She shares with us the do's and don'ts about how to speed up our career progression and it's for all of us, men and women. She also has this wonderful Nebraskan accent that I love listening to, and I hope you do too. This is a book about how we focus on ourselves as individuals to get ahead. The shortcut to keeping sex out of work starts with focusing on who we are as an individual, how we build the soft skills needed in a work environment, how we develop the business skills to progress in our careers, how to highlight our capabilities and how to not categorise ourselves as a gender or any other label that society may put on us. I'm going to share with you a couple of the chapters in the book, one called No Sex in Your Job Application, one called No Sex in Interviews and another No Sex as a Manager. So let's get on to that one about your job applications. Judith says, apply for a role because it excites you and because your capabilities as an individual are a good match. Don't worry if you don't tick all the boxes. You won't get the role if you don't go for it, so just give it a go. Be open to listening for every opportunity and if you are approached for a role and you're not interested, then refer someone else. If you see an internal opportunity in the organisation you work for, Just go for it. Apply. Your company will tell you if you're not suited. And at the same time, you've signalled that you're interested in advancement. When it comes to your CV, Judith says, share your achievements and the results. Judith calls it the so what. And I talk to her a bit more about that when we have our chat together. Now to the job interview, something I certainly need to learn to do much better at. The first piece of advice is to leave self-doubt at the door. 
Focus on what you as an individual can do and what you can deliver. A handy reminder of the questions to expect, and this is really good uh, even if you're used to being on the other side of the interview panel. It's often really easy to forget the sorts of things that you might face. So some of the basic starter questions, think about why have you applied? What interests you about the organisation, its products and services? And what you might have done that makes you suitable for the role or shows that you have initiative? The interview will quickly move on to those behaviour type questions and a reminder from Judith when answering those questions to make sure that you focus on these three things. What was the situation you faced? What action did you take? And what was the result? Don't over explain, keep your responses succinct and fresh. And remember, no matter what the result, don't give up. Be gracious in defeat and you never know what other opportunities might come along. So the final chapter I'm going to cover off in our speed read is the one called No Sex as the New Manager. The word manager might have the word man in it, but it doesn't mean that manager is gender specific. Gender doesn't define who is or isn't a good manager. The behaviours and leadership qualities that we exhibit as individuals will define our success, not our gender. No Sex at Work is all about how to be successful as an individual. Don't let anyone discriminate against you. Focus on what you need to get from A to B and learn the skills to get there. Rightio, so let's get into our conversation with Judith Beck, who's the author of No Sex at Work. Judith, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. And like normal in our Books at Work podcast, I start with the question, where in the world are you? And what's the view out your window at the moment? Uh, (laughs) Well, I am in Swansea, Tasmania. And the view out my window right now is a hallway looking into other rooms. But if I just walk down the steps, a a few steps, I have a stunning view of the water and it's a beautiful day here. So I have no complaints. Uh, I love the fact that you're somewhere different. Uh, We've talked to people in Australia and the US and different parts of Australia. So really interesting to know that you're based in Tasmania. Um, And I just wanted to start with, what what, what is the need that you're hoping to meet with this book? Why did you write it? Well, I wrote it because of everything I learned over my 25 years of uh, founding and and running an executive search firm in Australia. So it was a national search firm within financial services. And what I saw there about why people succeeded and others didn't, and you know, was it were women not getting to the the top of the positions because of blatant discrimination, or was it something more? And I actually found that it was actually something more because my clients didn't sort of, you know, when I would go take a brief, they wanted the best person for the job. They didn't care what their gender was or where they came from or anything about that. They wanted the best person. But what I found is that that the guys tended to have better support systems. And the, the, the reasons why we weren't getting to the top at the same level as the guys had more to do with lack of, of support systems. And that, you know, they had 
people in their corner and they had, so I looked at all that and I thought, why did I achieve and why didn't um, where others hadn't is because I went into the work environment as an individual thinking, how do I get from A to B? And that concept is, you know, very important because when you go into the work environment, leadership is not about gender. It's about certain skills and things that you do and support systems to get you to, to the more senior roles. You know, like, cause I came from a, um, a family of six and there were five girls and I was the youngest and all my sisters and my mother and my grandmother, they're all very supportive. My father was supportive. I didn't think that way when I went into the work environment. I didn't think that I'm a gender. I just thought, how do I get from A to B <laughs> as a business person? What do I need to do? And, you know, and I, and, and I, I wanted to put those principles into the book about how male or female, how do you as an individual get from A to B? It should be the same for everyone. And what do you need to do? That, that's interesting because I had wondered, is this a book written for women? It's written for, for everyone. So it, the concept is about the sooner that we all start thinking about ourselves as individuals, the sooner equality will be for everyone, right? <laughs> so the, and, and the, um, it's just as important for the guys to, to be involved and they need to have the same support systems and the women need to have the same support systems. And, um, you know, the reality is we're all humans and what do we need to do to get from A to B? And, and going through processes and, you know, hiring people, all those things need to be, the systems need to be fair for everyone. To get to from A to B, you talk about lessons that you've learned from the top 10P. What, what, what is that? So what is the that top concept? 10 percenters, yeah, the top 10 percenters, those are the people that I saw over the years accelerate and accelerate very, uh, very well. They were, they were, I mean, obviously there's, people in top level roles who are successful in spite of themselves. <laughs> but there's the, the top 10 percenters to me were the people who you aspire to, they do everything right, and they're consistent in their behaviors. And, you know, they're, they're people who are, um, uh, they, they understand the common courtesies, they, their behaviors are they, male or female. So there's not a gender involved in that. It's a male or female, top 10 percenters. I saw both. And they did things that were very consistent in their behaviors that got them there. And so in the book, there's a lot of uh, reference into what they actually do and how they did it um, to become true leaders. So I'd like to step through some of the key chapters in the book and starting with the first thing, which is about going about getting a job, really focusing on the practical, tangible things from the book. And the first one was around putting your resume or your CV together. Uh, I was taken by your talk in the book about focusing on results and the so what principle. What is that and what does that look like in a CV What's or a resume? So what principle? Yeah. So when I so I'd see all these resumes come through obviously over the years and I've interviewed thousands of people. And I'd always see on a resume people would list their achievements. And in fact, 
guys are very good about uh, listing their achievements where I've noticed that a lot of times women wouldn't even put the achievements on there. And then when they did put the achievements on there, it didn't follow the so what principle because I would read it, I'd read the statement and then I'd go, so what? That didn't tell me anything. And so that's when I, how I came up with this so what principle when I'm advising um, people with their resumes. That basically, for example, if you are a marketing person and you put on your resume, I developed a new program for the marketing department, full stop. I would go, so what? It could have been the worst program in the world, could have cost the company a fortune, <laughs> had all kinds of problems, right? So that does not tell me anything. But if you said, I developed a new marketing program that um, improved productivity by 20% and saved the company $100,000 in the first 12 months, full stop, that tells me something. I've got a quantifiable achievement. So every statement, so when I would speak to candidates, I'd say every single statement that you say on there needs to have a result. And it needs to, you, and, and you just keep saying, so what, after every single one of those statements until you're satisfied that you have actually quantified what that achievement was. Because every achievement does have a result. It's either, it's either a dollar figure, a percentage, a uh, productivity, it's done, it's won something, it's been recognized, some, something um, will show, you know, everything will show a result. So, so you need to put something in there that shows that. Otherwise, you've got so what? The guys don't have a problem putting in the, the, uh, uh, the results, and often they would overstate the results. Right? And, and sometimes the girls would say, um, oh, well, I don't want to sound, um, I don't want it to sound arrogant. I don't, I don't, I didn't put it in there because I, I don't want to sound like I'm big noting myself. And I would always say, well, you're not, if it's your achievement, it's your achievement. You're not, be, be passionate about it. it. You know, if you say an achievement with passion, it never comes across as arrogant. I did this and this is how I did it. And I'm really excited. And that's how you say it. So that was another thing that jumped out of the book for me around mastering, talking about what you've done and how you did it. Is that passion and enthusiasm, is that is that the key and the confidence to do it? Or is, or is there something else that we should be thinking about? You know, passion, passion goes a long way. And if you've done something within an organization that you, you've actually, it's part of your achievements that you've done, and you're telling someone about it, people can they can see it, they can see the passion. And, and I think that's really important that you go in with that mindset that I'm gonna tell them about things that I've done that I'm really proud of. And, you know, it could be something as simple as I mentored a new employee coming in and helped that person. I was really excited. I helped that person, you know, they didn't have this experience and that because, you know, every achievement isn't necessarily going to be some grand statement. And so, but it might be something that you did to help something that maybe was outside of your uh, current position description. And it could be you helped somebody else that you that you were proud of. We've done our CV, we've got the job. And then we've got our first days at work. And how do you take sex out of the first days at work? The thing is, is that when you go into your first job, let's say you're going into, 
your um, first management position and you're going into the new role, you take sex out by, you don't put that block in front of you like, okay, I'm going into this job. I'm the only woman in this team. And therefore they're going to be looking at me a certain way or they're going to have preconceived ideas about that. And all of a sudden you have all this um, imposter syndrome, and I hate that word, imposter syndrome. <laughs> <Maybe. laughs> <'Cause it's> nothing <laughs> but self-doubt. And at the end of the day, you're always going to have self-doubt for the rest of your life. And, and I think you should embrace it um, because that's just really trying to find out more information. So when you go into to a, a new job or a new, take out that, uh, um, that talk in your head. They're going to see me one way. They're going to treat me this way. Um, you know, maybe I, maybe there was somebody in that team that went for the role and, you know, you, you have all this um, chatter going on and you go into that new role and go, I got the role. I got the role. And what do I need as, because, I, because with my skills to, to get from A to B in that role, how do I need to do? I remember one time someone rang me up and said she had gotten a promotion into the role and she had heard, actually, unfortunately, that there were two girls in her team who were um, making comment that she only got the role because of their um, targets. And how should I handle it? And how should I do this? And, and I remember going back, you know how you handle it? You go and you buy yourself a bottle of champagne and celebrate the fact that you got the job and stop worrying about what those other people are talking about because no company well, and I know as myself as an owner of companies, nobody is going to hire somebody into a role for the mere sake of meeting quotas or targets if they don't think you can do the role. It, it just wouldn't be good business sense. So forget about what people may or may not be saying and go in there and just do the job and do it well and prove everybody wrong. If you think that's the case, just go in there and do the job. And that's what I mean about taking out any um, preconceived blockers or things, you know, just go in and do the job and do it well. And everything you're saying, I can relate to as a woman. I'm just wondering if there are men listening to this, uh, whether they do the same things. Do they go in with self doubt? And uh, yeah, just trying to understand is this the same yeah. message for men? Yes. You know, men definitely have self doubt. The difference is men often have a lot of mentors. And so mentors uh, are very important. And I talk about that in the book as well. But men, when they go into um, a new role, they, they will have had you know several people already in their corner that if they have any kind of issues or, or whatever that, 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 that's in their head, um, they'll speak to their mentors and their mentors will tell them, get over it. <laughs> stop having self-doubt <laughs> and that's why it's so important to have those people because they're like your cheerleaders in the in your corner you know um, cheering you on because they they've got your back I wanted to explore that a bit mentors mean different things to different people what what do you mean by a mentor in this in the workplace context and and how do you cultivate them like what does that look like well, you know, with mentors, the, the thing is, the minute you go into your first role, um, and we did a survey on this several years ago, where we found that, that boys, when they go into their first role, if their boss leaves and goes to another division, 
they will stay in contact with them if they had a good relationship. And so by the time they get to a management level role, let's say in their early to mid thirties, they've got between seven and 12 people in their corner. So they start collecting them. And we found that the girls, if their boss went to another division, they wouldn't, if their boss was male, they wouldn't keep in contact because they didn't think it was appropriate. And if they were female, they didn't keep in contact because they didn't want to bother her. Now, the guys, interestingly enough, didn't care if they were male or female. So, you know, where, so somewhere down at the very beginning of their early going into, someone told them to start gathering these mentors. They didn't just, they weren't born with it. In other words, they didn't wake up and go, oh, you know, I got to start gathering mentors. Someone told them that. So you have mentors, so you have mentors who are people who, are helping you with maybe certain skills and they also sometimes people call them coaches as well or advocates and so um, mentors will tend to be internally internal advocates will tend tend to be people who are external from an organization i always recommend to people that um, mentors and advocates the ideal ones are the people who are not in your own organization because those are the people, and, and, and you should probably have both, but your external advocates and mentors are the people that are your fresh eyes and they can give you their views without any kind of um, agendas. If people listening are thinking, okay, I need to cultivate my mentor or advocate network, what are one or, thing, one or two things they could do immediately to do that? They need to start looking at who they who they respect. So, depending on what level they're at, let's say you know they you know um, they look at who is in the, currently in their network now, and who are the people that they respect that are more senior than they are. So, an advocate or a mentor does need to be someone who's more senior than you, probably two levels at least, more senior than you, and that you respect. And, um, and that will keep your confidence. Um, another piece in the book that I really liked was around when you're at work and you've, you've framed it in the first days of work, but I think it's, you know, when you're always at work, is around the importance of human connection. And I wondered if you could explain that and why you're calling that out so, so specifically. I think it is so important, even more so these days, in that, you know, our human connection uh, tends to be the text, <laughs> the emails and technology. And people who, the top 10 percenters especially, they know that, that the key to success a lot of times is building relationships at all levels and having that connection with people. You can integrate technology with that, but, you know, you can't put a price on the on building relationships and there's there's only certain ways that you can build good relationships and that is often by having that connection and meeting the person getting to know them asking the right questions i talk about not levelizing you know the importance of um, common courtesies and you know over the years the people you know i was amazed that yeah, a top 10 percenter connects with everybody. From the moment they walk in that door, they connect with the receptionist, they're, they're nice to the administration people, they're considerate, they, um, when they um, 
uh, communicate even by email. They remember the common courtesies because how many people have read something into an email, a tone or lack of tone in an email and thought, what's the matter with them? You know, so they, they have mastered the art of communicating and connecting with people in a human, nice, respectful, respectful way. And it goes to their advantage through their career. And tell me about the elevator, the lift conversations. What, 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 what are your thoughts about that? Human connection, you know, I have made so many good, when I had my recruitment firm, um, and, I, and I would say to my consultants as well, connect to people, look up. Don't be looking on your phone when you go into the elevator, especially because we were going into a lot of the uh, large financial institutions, which were our clients. How hard is it to say hello, right? right? Is it that hard? Now, somebody might not say hello back, but it says more about them than it does you. So the thing is, but somebody may say hello and have that conversation. I've made, I've made um, connections in the elevator. Thank you very much, Judith, for uh, taking the time from Tasmania to talk to us. Um, love the conversation and yeah, can't wait for others to hear it. We're going to sum up with our no sex at work take five and 60 seconds. So here goes. First, you are an individual. Focus on that and what you bring to a role. Two, be a leader. Lead by example. Act ethically. Call out bad behaviour and find solutions. Three, embrace confidence, not arrogance. Don't overstate your achievements. Don't levelise and be respectful of people. Four, don't give up if you miss out on a job. And five, everyone has self-doubt. Grow from it. That's our No Sex at Work episode of Books at Work done and dusted. Please give me feedback, follow us on Instagram, Books at Work, or check out booksatwork.co.nz. I'm Anna Hughes, and that's Books That Work, making work better. 